Just coming through is self-empowerment. It's a time to really become fully energetic, sovereign beings so that we can move through day-to-day -day life with such integrity and it's energetic integrity, right? It's really owning that meaning that we do place on the day-to-day -day flow of life's information. And so now just stepping back and noticing our own evaluative structures gives us the liberation to be fully sovereign, which then opens up the deeper empowerment that I believe we're awakening to as a collective civilization now. It's an exciting time. It's not been an easy time, but it's an exciting time. Community is very important. Transparency, being raw and real, and really feeling emotion. We got to feel it to heal it. That's been one of my personal lessons. Feel it to heal and, it. That. <laughs> Ooh, when they, those things move, those emotions move through the tendrils of the heart. It opens up that innate sensitivity that we've been shut off to as a species who's been in survival mode. So it's yeah. time remember, there's nothing to survive. We can live in a thriveable civilization. Yeah, move out of survival into arrival. You got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? If you feel like that's what you want to do. Welcome to another show with Karen Swain, Accentuating the Positive. And please remember, if you enjoy our conversations, subscribe, subscribe to whatever platform you're listening to this on and send us your comments and press that like button or that bell button on YouTube. I have another brilliant light spark, beautiful goddess to introduce you to. <laughs> Dershna Patel, all the way over there in another Atlanta, Georgia person. I've had three people from Atlanta, Georgia on the show this year. Welcome to Thanks the show. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much, Karen. I'm glad to keep the Atlanta vibe going. <laughs> Atlanta, Atlantis, you know, maybe there's a correlation. Oh, right. Wow, girl. You just, wow. Maybe there is. I had a beautiful friend and um, healer and channel on in the Inner Sanctum the other day, and she's written a book about Krishna's perspective from, about Atlantis, and I'm like, I can't wait to read it. And I feel compelled to read it because I feel like I must have been there. So uh, maybe there isn't a connection with the Atlanta, Atlantis. Who knows? <laughs> Look, we've got so much to talk about. We've been chatting for like, oh, I don't know, 20 minutes already. And I keep saying, like, let's stop and turn the recording on. But let me read out Dershner's bio. It keeps sort of shifting and changing as you start uh, finding new ways in which to present yourself as a healer, which is like an artist. I've always said that I'm like an artist. You can know there's so many mediums you can sculpt, you can paint, you can sing, you can, you know, there's so many mediums you can use, but you're always an artist. It's a bit the same with being a spiritual healer or channel or teacher. There's so many ways in which you could present it, but these are a couple of ways that you have. Dershna Patel is a channel healer, Reiki master, medium, and host 
of the show Enlighten Up on the Elida Side Network. She's dedicated to inspiring the world to a new level of consciousness, compassion and connection by accessing universal wisdom. After 20 years in the corporate world, Dershner traded in her corporate armor, I love that, for the tools of a spiritual warrior at her business the unscripted way. She has been shifting the paradigms of possibility for everyday people ever since. Dershna possesses, possesses an undergrad in information systems, a master's in transformative conflict, an advanced certificate in organizational change and personal transformation. While working to complete her perfectory book, Ionation, all in our revolution. Now, just explain that to me. How do you say that? Is that yeah, right? The ionation, the all in, lowercase r, evolution, revolution. Revolution. Yeah. The evolution of humanity through. Lowercase r, right, evolution. Because that, yeah, this is what my mother said to me. You know, we've moved past the, the time of revolution. We're now in a time of evolution. So you've got the lowercase r. But most people are out there you know, doing the revolution thing along with um, billions of children across the world, you know, protesting for climate change. It's a revolution. Dershner personally transcended a, a debilitating autoimmune condition and attributes her healing to the power of an aligned body, mind and spirit. She conducts sessions for clients worldwide and is an author and speaker on consciousness, conflict and compassion through the lens and language of vibration. Her website is theunscriptedway.com. So you've had quite a journey with all of this. I read this somewhere. I'm just going to read this out. Uh, you say, I blindly entered a traditional Hindu arranged marriage three weeks out of college and wide-eyed exited seven years later and there I was, a divorced and disowned pixie haircut short <laughs> first-generation Indian-American woman with a baby in arms and freshly purchased gay pride rainbow shirt and didn't smell of curry. <laughs> <laughs> Glad you dug that up. Yeah, that's pretty much my uh, my story there. Come on, tell us, tell us what happened. Yeah, you know, Karen. Thanks so much for the intro again, and thank you for the opportunity to to be here with you. It's such an honor and a privilege, and I want to first thank you for the work you're doing in the world. These kind of conversations are so important as we're reconnecting with who we are beyond that script, that conditioned nature, which the arranged marriage kind of points to, you know, as a first generation Indian American, um, my parents come over with very traditional thinking and beliefs. And when they emigrated to the US, you know, those impressions and those beliefs were literally imprinted on my brain as the way things had to be. Absolutely. So by 19, I was entered into a traditional arranged marriage. I was still in college, so I was engaged at 19. And it's a funny story because I didn't realize how big of a story this was until um, this year I got a connection on Facebook from a middle school friend, a colleague of mine from middle school who sent me uh, a, a Facebook request and then immediately sent me a message. And she said, hi, Dershna, I don't know if you remember me. Her name's Tina. She said, in middle school PE, so this would have been age 12, 13, 14, she said, 
you had always talked about how you were going to have an arranged marriage. Ah. I always wondered how that had turned out for you. <laughs> so ah. Now she sees my Facebook updates and she's like, I see you had an interesting life, but it looks like you're living your best life now. Because <laughs> fast forward, you know, yeah, I was married, uh, engaged for two years, married for seven. And wow. thank God I have a wonderful baby girl who's now 20 years old, no longer a baby. But, you know, Karen, what that showed me, the experience of living in such indoctrination and enculturation gave me this beautiful perspective of what oppression looks like when we don't even know we're oppressed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. All of us. All of us. It's, yeah. Because it's how it's supposed to be, right? This is the right way of I mean, you and I were laughing before because I saw a post on Facebook that said tradition is peer pressure from dead people. (laughs) I love that definition. What maintains tradition? And, you know, the beauty of cultural narrative, narration, if we look at the etymology, so this is part of ionation, is all the ION words are telling us what we're doing with the essence, with the flow of energy through the system. So if we want to change the system, A system is not just the sum of its parts, it's the sum of its parts interactions, interact ions. Ions are the essence, it's the energy, the frequency that's giving motion, the mode ion, the motion of the form itself. And we know if we change frequency, we change the form's expression. Absolutely. We want to change the system, it's an internal frequency and the unleashing of that pure resonance that's uniquely us. So then, you know, as I was going through my journey, and recognizing, wait, like, who am I? Who am I not? And mm. stepping out of that unconditioned way, but then having to bump up against the power of cultural narrative and traditions, all of these words, again, are telling us what we're doing with the energy. So the narration is literally telling the light particles what to script in the hologram that we're perceiving as reality. And narration then also creates the emotional density and attachment. And it's the emotion that's the magnetic pool of the, 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 the thought patterns, right? The electrical charge, the impulse, which then the electromagnetic narration is giving us the emotional charge behind the story of tradition and how it needs to be. And then that's creating the 3D reality that we're perceiving mm-hmm. because it's the lower density form. So then when we start to unravel our own conditioning, then we go, well, that belief is freaking limiting. And like, who do I love? What is love? What is relationship? And, you know, oh, how am I not expressing myself fully in those aspects of life? Absolutely. I, well, we're totally off your story, but we'll get back to it. But absolutely. Like I was married to a Hare Krishna for a while. And, um, you know, he became a Hare Krishna at 17. He said that his mother was such a bad cook. First, he had his first Hare Krishna vegetarian meal. And he was like, right, I'm going to sign up. <laughs> But uh, he said to me once, you know, I was teaching him about deliberate creation, which just kind of flies open the doors, uh, like you create your own reality. Seth said, you create your own reality and there are no limits, the only rules to life. You create your own. So it flies open the doors and sort of disses any rules and regulations and traditions. And and the Hare Krishna religion was just full of do's and don'ts and what to do's and not to do. And he said, you know, it was so much easier being a Hare Krishna soldier than it is a deliberate creator where I have to decide who I am and what to do because there's so much freedom in it. 
that, you know, now you've got to think. Now you've got to come up with decisions. Like now you've got to create rather than just being told what to do. And I think that that's how tradition stays generation after generation after generation or conditioning you know not just tradition but conditioning stays because when people tell you who you are and what to do it's easy you don't have to think right you're just like right that's me i'll i'll take that on until wearing that identity doesn't fit anymore yeah so what happened to wake you up like you're inside this marriage i can't imagine listening to your mind and listeners and people watching this have seen her unbelievably bright, sparky mind, like a, like a scientist. How did that mind live inside an arranged marriage? I just don't know how that worked. You know, that's, uh, it's bringing back some trauma actually. Yeah. Is I, I literally, I believe I had to stop thinking. And um, I remember my light got very dim in those seven years. And it was, it was when my, it was the moment my, well, when I was, um, when I was expecting my daughter during pregnancy, I remember just connecting with the energy and going, there's a conscious being inside of me. Like just the awakening that I was coming back to from childhood. Like I was a very, just spiritually connected child. And then over time, you know, that just got obscured. And then I kind of tucked it away because I had to to just function. And I remember during pregnancy, that reawakening was there. It was the moment she was born, Karen. Um, The moment she was born, I remember holding her. And the first thought was, there was something said in, in the room. And because she was a girl, with the cultural conditioning, it was the, oh, it's a girl. And not the oh. celebration of, oh my God, look at this beautiful human, you know? And so for me, it was like, wait, whoa, whoa, this, no, this cannot be her reality that, no, no, she's not gonna be treated how I was treated as a woman and a burden and like incomplete and not a male, you know? And so it was that moment of, wait, what reality am I living in? And what reality am I going to pass on to her? That, Karen, yeah, I'm holding back my emotional connection because it will break me down. That was the moment of having to become accountable for the reality that I was going to pass on to her. Yeah. And that shifted everything. Within two and a half years, I I was divorced. And at the same time, like the universe was giving me this and you may like women. And I'm like, what is happening? Like that wasn't even in my realm of possibility. That's another thing my daughter and I joke about now. It's like, how did you not know, mom, that you were, you were gay? And I was like, because it wasn't in my realm of reality. Like how yeah. could access yep. that expression? Because by 12, I was having an arranged marriage, you know? That yeah. Was- it wasn't part of the paradigm you were a part of. No. Yeah. Exactly. Talk about awakening on all levels. And then it's been really this journey now, you know, what are we, 18 years since that moment of, you know, declaring that that paradigm was no longer going to work for me. And then after that, it's just been change after change after change. And I know. Continual, and continuing to change. Yeah. But tell me, how did the, um, you know, your mob, your guides, your team, your spiritual, the collective consciousness, 
introduce itself to you? Because, you know, I saw you channeling on the Lighter Side Network with uh, Jamie, which was a few years ago. And you, you obviously channel a few different collectives. That you, one you call the Ra Collective, and then you've got one that's called Neo, which is an yeah. anagram of the one. So you've given them a few names. Like, how did you, were you introduced to that? You know, I had to think back to when I was young. I remember some of my earliest memories was getting these words like, everything is vibration. Like, yeah. you know, these whispers and these reminders. And so from the early on, I was already connected and I didn't know to what. I just thought it was like how everyone operated, right? As many, many intuitives and empaths are, we just kind of assume that everyone kind of operates that way. Exactly, yeah. It was later when I started developing my, um, my connection um, in adolescence. So, you know, by age eight, I was already meditating. And that was part of, you know, the home practice is prayer, meditation, mm. um, yoga. But it's not the yoga that we do. Like my mom would teach me the, you know, the breathing out of one nostril and the other and eye movements. And my dad had a calisthenics routine. And like, they're always very disciplined in their practice. So I learned that early on yeah. and they were always working. So I had a lot of time by myself and my brother was five years older. He was always doing his own thing. So by eight, I was meditating. I was astral projecting. By 12, I was using um, uh, pendulums and <laughs> automatic writing happened during that time too in my teens and that's I believe where I really started connecting but I still didn't have a name for the intelligence it was just a collective like wow this is incredible and I get my answers and I feel like I kind of just have a different perspective that's helping me go through the day-to-day and just be kind of in my own flow and in my own love but I was a very up here kind of child because I just didn't resonate with a lot of what was going on around me, right? Mm. You kind of disappeared into your own. Yeah. You disappeared into your own world. Yeah. 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 I get that. (laughs) By 12, I had a really strong connection and I just didn't know to what. And it was further um, when I started really just engaging my, my capacities and abilities and it was under the, um, the coaching of Jamie that it gave me the anchoring. Because, you know, we worked at the center together. Um, and it was just such a blessing to have that kind of support from someone who could help me develop that and go, oh, yeah, like that's the Raw Collective. And just be able to affirm what I was experiencing and do it in a very safe, you know, and um, just encouraging way. Mm-mm. So are you still at the center? you know, through the end of the year. And that's part of this evolution is I'm getting guided to leave my physical space, which is unheard of because I have a beautiful flourishing practice. I love what I do day in and day out. I've been doing it for five years, over 2000 sessions. And Karen, I'm telling you, my guides are like, "Mm, get ready for 2020, lose the physical space for now. You'll see how it fits in. If it does later, launch the book in the model. And I really don't even know what it looks like, but I just know that I'll be transitioning at least with the day-to-day office space. So it's crazy because it's home for me. It's my community, you know? But uh-huh, interesting. Think, I've been guided yeah, the other way. Get some physical space where people can come and gather, which is what I talked about on the show with Jamie. So, yeah, interesting. I don't know. That physical space just, you know, creates community. 
community in Sydney has classically been through dance and um, kirtan singing, but there hasn't been a place where we can all come and gather to sort of have these discussions. And they might, they say, you know, get that organised, girl. Yeah. Anyway, you'd be a so. perfect one for that. Because I, you know, what I'm seeing, Karen, is that there's. Some of us, I feel like I'm going to be a floater and I'm meant to just literally, like I keep seeing crossing, crossing the nation, crossing the global, um, you know, spectrum. And I just, I haven't, I haven't had the opportunity to do that to this point. And so I'm really excited about what that looks like. Yeah. But it's about following that impulse, right? When you're doing this work, you're just like, okay, tell me what the marching orders are. I'm listening. I'm listening. Yeah, they've said the same to me about 2020. It's going to be a big one, but I don't know, down under, we're already experiencing some massive, massive shifts and there's been fires and earthquakes and volcanoes going off and it's just crazy what's going down, down under. And we're, wow. <laughs> you know, we're a week or two away from the end of the year. So uh, if this is the end of the year, who knows what's in store for us next year. Okay, so where are we in your journey? I really loved what some of the things that um, Ra talked about when I listened to you talk about, like I've wrote, jotted down a few things, building the pyramids through thought technology I thought was fascinating. What's the significance of the pyramids? You know, people had some, the escalation of chaos they were talking about, the word chaos. Oh, I looked up the word chaos actually and the word chaos derived from the Greek word meaning chasm or void, which makes oh. sense given that chaos refers to the formless state of matter in the cosmos. I don't know, this was just something I jotted down as I was listening to you channel Ra and um, yeah, we don't think of chaos meaning void or, mm. or formless, but I guess that <clears throat> when we let go of some of the forms, the thought forms that we have, like, just like I said, my ex-husband said, when you're in that freedom that void that nothingness it feels like chaos because you haven't got anything to hang on to and say give me instructions tell me what to do now you're like free floating and like oh now i have to make a decision that's i'm really glad you looked at the etymology and just the the words themselves right language holds our reality in place it's encoding and decoding literally the rhythm of the patterning that's then registered. Every manifestation has a unique vibrational signature and footprint, right? That we're encoding in language that's then registered. There's a registration, register at ion in the Akashic field, which is basically just the resonant source field to me. And so Karen, like when we're looking at the idea of chaos as a chasm, I love that. I hadn't considered confusion and reorganization and conflict and change and all these phenomenon go hand in hand because it's a disintegration, disintegrated ion, right? It's a disintegration of a particular version. When we talked about narration of verse ion, a version of narration that is literally decoupling from the anchoring in the 3D density. So in that chaos. To me, everything is just pattern configurations of energy. That's how I experience it. And so as we're going through chaos, which right now, the way that I view it, and I've heard other readers now that I've um, kind of plugged back in out of my bubble for a few years. Um, so I'm consuming information again. And the way I see it is how others are, are experiencing it. 
it's right now we're going through a condense or a collapse of timeline, all the possibilities, because every thought wave, right, is creating a potential reality and we're picking which one we want to write on, the current, the currency of information and format ion that we're going to vibe with and resonate with. So right now, based on our frequency, we're tuning in to potential uh, lines of possibility. And now we're going through, if you imagine, um, the visual I get is the, um, an hourglass. And right now we're going through that point in the hourglass where it gets tighter mm -hmm. and we're collapsing the possibilities. And now that we're emerging, and I guess 2020 and these eclipses are a time now where we're coming back out of that con condensation of possibility and all the chaos is getting reordered. There's a reintegration, I believe that's happening. So yeah. we're in this kind of formless state, which is encouraging us to come back to the essential essence, the true nature underneath the conditioned form. So it really is a time of rebirth. It's a time mm. of actualization to a deeper level because now we're like shaking off the conditions and we're like, damn, that is so not me. Like, yeah. who is me? The question I've but been asking yeah. myself for years is, who am I now? Who well, am exactly, I now? exactly. If that's not me, who, well, who, who am I? Look, I love that visual of the hourglass. That's beautiful. And yeah, we're writing a new script for humanity. And um, I guess that comes into decisions. You know, I've got a friend, excuse me, who's, we put we, we put on events together in Sydney, and he's an he's one of the most he, he's one of the most amazing person people in that. There's a lot of people that talk the talk, but don't walk the walk, you know. <laughs> and he definitely walks the walk. And something happened to him personally and his family that kind of sh shook his world. And now he's in that flux of chaos. In that anything that we talk about, law of attraction, any of this stuff that we talk about, you know, deliberate creation, you create your own reality. All of that to him is like, no, I'm just going to, I'm not going to believe any of it is true. It's just like he's just, so he's kind of in this chaotic state that we were talking about, just free floating where she, he hasn't grabbed onto any idea that he's going to own for now. And wow. uh, it is a chaotic place to be. Like I remember years ago I did a, a personal growth course and they said the universe is meaningless and empty which threw me into depression because what's the point of getting up in the morning if the universe is meaningless and empty there has to be some meaning there and then I got it that the meaning that's there is the meaning you give it so getting back to that you have to decide what's meaningful for you and then you have to paint that picture there is no is there's just what you create and I think that's what humanity is doing right now as we're assessing what we've believed in the past, call it traditions or social norms, and like what, what do we want to create? Yeah, so oh. it's interesting times, dying. interesting times. Getting back to your story, I seem to be yabbing on here. How did your daughter, um, you know, deal with you channeling and all this like is she on board with it all or was there peer pressure for her being in school that she had this sort of mom that was you know a bit different 
You know, it's, you know, it's been interesting to see it uh, through her lens, to, mm-hmm. hear, to hear about her experience. She's highly empathic and intuitive. And oh, yeah. And um, she had a lot of similar experiences that I did as a child, you know, just mm-hmm. with the unwanted encounters and interactions with lower vibrational, call them ghosts or entities and things like that. And so we always had a busy house with a lot of energy that wanted to communicate with us. So she grew up in that. And I think it was, it was nice because she could share those experiences and I could tell her what works for me and, you know, don't be afraid, but you have to draw your boundaries. So she grew up in that empowered um, context. And I think in the outside world, it was like, and don't talk about it with anybody. Because She drew that her own conclusion though, because she realized, um, that not everyone shared the same perspective and beliefs. And so, you know, you learn to use discernment. So I think that's something that she learned early on. What I'm really appreciating now that she's 20, Karen, is that she's stepping back and going, hmm, I don't know what I believe. And it's kind of like your friend. I think it's important to always pause and go, how do I know what I know? What do I believe? What is my truth? And so I believe she's taken a hiatus and just kind of, re-establishing her own inner compass on what is true. And I love that she's accessing her own inner discernment and not just taking what I perceive as, you know, the reality I live in is true because it changes every day too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, I think that, you know, for someone like her and many others of her generation and older and younger, who know that they're here to make a difference. They look out into the world at ways in which to make a difference. And they see that channeling, you know, um, collectives is not part of the mainstream. And so how many people am I going to reach if I put myself out there as talking to galactic guides or dead people or, you know, spiritual beings or higher consciousness? Like this has definitely been the plight of my daughter who's such a difference maker but she does not want to do it the way I'm doing it. (laughs) She wants to work in the mainstream. You know, she's been taught all this stuff, you know, from nurses and carers and, and she comes to me with her, you know, armed with her beliefs from that world that kind of bump up against my world. But that's the world that is kind of working for most people. That's where she sees the difference being made, people getting looked after. And yeah, so it's really interesting and this conversation i was having with my friend we're putting on an event called unity and he's taken out all the spiritual jargon he doesn't want to have any spiritual jargon it's just about connection and love and unity according to him and um they were having this discussion that you know if you put in spiritual jargon it's going to um you know push people away they're not going to come because they're going to see it too woo woo and uh, he said, you can introduce the woo-woo stuff once they're there, but to get them there, you have to sort of speak more mainstream. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, okay. But your vibe attracts your tribe, right? So whatever marketing ploy you have, you're going to attract who you're going to attract. And they're usually going to be aligned up with what you believe. So you can put all the marketing prowess that you like into your, you know, but the people that organize the event are going to attract the vibration that comes to the event. That's what I found, yeah. Exactly. I think as we stand in our own inner truth and our unique expression, it will resonate with 
you know, souls that it's intended to. There's always that co-creation there. And so I think we just need to do it in our own way. That's all that matters. Yeah, yeah. So with your access to your mob, your team, uh, what have they been telling you about, you know, coming, like what's coming in 2020? Have you had any guidance on that? Yeah, um, quite a bit. Um, It's a time of activation. So what I'm just going to kind of tap in and see how it flows. So I know, you know, they're, they're, um, I'm getting encouraged to keep coming back to my, my perspective. So Karen, I know we're at a, a major culmination point because, you know, as we're looking at the future of our collective, it's the remembrance that we are each a cell in a collective organism and mm-hmm. it goes beyond humanity. It goes beyond Gaia. It's a cosmic civilization. Mm-hmm. And because of our unique expression here on earth with its complex integration of interdimensionality and disparity of you know, contrasting perspectives, 2020 becomes a time of being able to integrate our lived experiences now with the vibrational wisdom of how we can embody our true essence in this avatar, in this form. So what I keep seeing is 2020, I mean, really begins now, is a time of activation. And when I say activation, I keep coming back to the divine seed, that potential expression that's within all of us that remains unconditioned that remains pure that essential essence that makes you uniquely you me uniquely me everything in creation has its own distinct resonance and oscillation its own modulation its own rhythm its own vibrational resonance the key is to now turn inward to harmonize that resonance because what i keep seeing in 2020 is they show me the sword of discernment becomes very, very critical because we're going through stark contrast of polarity. I mean, we've been going through this now for a few years, right on the global scale in our individual lives, like the contrast of what's working, what's no longer working is very, very clear. So as we exercise discernment in that inter, the balance within of our own pulsation, so we know what is our own inner compass, our own inner truth, then as we're engaging one another, it comes from a place of no longer codependency. We're invited to be fully sovereign energetically, which then frees the mind and it frees the heart then to not be in that protective mode because the discernment is there. So we get to actually free flow now in the interconnection, the interconnect ion of the full system that is reawakening itself to a higher level order of consciousness, which happens as every cell begins to reawaken its potential and resonates higher. One human, another human, a community of humans, a civilization of humans, we, became, we become the essence that will transmute the form. So they keep coming back to inner modulation and balance. The answer is not external, it's internal. We can consume the information to reawaken that seed within, but the tending comes here. And so the invitation is having that discernment within, but it requires 
the spaciousness of tuning everything else out to come within. And then when we look at contrast, it's from the observation without the evaluation, as Christian Worthy talks about. It's exactly what you're saying. It's, it's meaningless. It's the meaning we choose to apply to it. And that's where now we get to recreate a narrative coming from a place of stepping back, perceiving and observing, and then choosing and deliberately creating then the version of reality that we want to begin integrating into. So it takes the emotional connection and the creativity of the mind unified together to change the perception and the projected collective illusion that we're living in. That's what they keep showing me. 2020 is the catalyst of now owning and being sovereign, energetic individuals. And that's a shake-up, break-up of relationships, but it starts with our relationship to oneself first. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and that's it's a rebirth. We're going through a rebirth. A rebirth. I can see you doing, um, you know, going around talking at conferences and stuff. Okay. So... To simplify this, getting in touch more with our heart, getting out of our heads, but using our heads as a tool of the heart and not the other way around. Yeah. Yes. Like using the, using the sharpness and the logic of the mind to communicate the heart's knowing. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so I know that you've been kind of quietening your very busy, sharp, incurious, inquisitive, unbelievably intelligent mind with shamanic drumming, like lately. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you've done your work. Thanks for doing the research on, yeah. Well, Karen, drumming is a light language. It was mm -hmm. my number one passion and love was music first. The first thing I ever asked for at age three was a drum. Mm -hmm. And here I am, little old, you know, little Indian girl, little Indian girls don't play drums, but I yeah. got my drum, you know, and I beat it until, you know, it was a fake little, it was almost like, um, but my parents did buy it. I didn't have many toys, right? But they did get me this drum. I'm very grateful, but it wasn't exact. I wanted a real drum, not the toy drum. So I ended up breaking the toy drum eventually. But Karen, I knew from early on that drums are a light language. It, it, and when we look at the archetypal rhythms across civilizations, I believe that they are there to reawaken an intelligence of all the archetypal patterns that are already within us. And so the shamanic, or I call it, I call it because I, I don't even want to use the label of shaman mm -hmm. um, in order you know, to honor the tradition of the word itself, but it's you know, someone who does access, as many of us do, the, the inner dimensions, it's a medicine drum because it's the light, it's the light language. And so I allow the drum to play me versus me playing it. Like it just, it starts to talk. And in, in a seven minute journey in, you know, my 75 minute energy sessions, it's incredible what we can do to entrain, you know, the mind and body and then just the vibrational healing that happens through the rhythm of the, the, the skin on the drum is just phenomenal. It's a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. So I've been, in, I've been so excited to integrate drumming because it's been just, it's that passion that's always kind of been on the peripheral and I've always had instruments and I kind of dance with it, but I don't fully 
and I really want that to be a big part of my life going forward. Yeah. Aha. Uh-huh. I know this word shaman, it has that shaman. So many words in our vernacular are so um, sort of male orchestrated, you know, like the with the man. I suppose even the word woman has woman. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's hard because we're set up in polarization and division and separation and everything about our language and everything is sort of created like that you know even in Italian I remember learning Italian they give the male and female to everything which makes it confusing you know this drama is a man and this coat is a woman and this you know like how could all these things have male and female gender oh my god so confusing so it's going to be interesting to see how we recreate ourselves as a human species that is more unified because we have to create new language, right? Like we have to. Exactly it. That's to, exactly it. We're creating new societies, new traditions, new language, everything to fit in with the expansion or evolution of consciousness, which says it's not you and me, it's we, you know, we're this exactly. unified fields of separate consciousness and how do we work in harmony with each other instead of that discord and um yeah so it's an interesting time that's the key word there karen is harmony because i think you know we're we're invited now to look at every interaction with what energy am i bringing to this exchange right and so first that's the inner modulation of being reset and recentered when we can before we engage in conversation and then what is the flow are we bringing harmony are we bringing ease are we not bringing ease to a to a flow of energy because that's then affecting it's rippling out into the collective resonance in an unending ripple and so as we just in every single interaction no matter who it's with or even what it's with you know when we project energy even if it's at an object or an animal, it's still having this imprint, this impression, and this residual reverberation in the collective resonance. So I really think if we just focus on the word harmony and we look at it from a place of compassion, compass ion, if we just orient to the empathy, that empathic resonance or dissonance that we're creating in that exchange, we can literally uplift humanity in every single exchange, every ion at a time one ion at a time we change the way we change absolutely now let me ask you what do your parents think about you <laughs> like obviously you've changed a lot how are they how are you relating are they still in their traditional ways like how do they relate to you it's an interesting question it's been quite an evolution um so my dad passed a few years ago, uh, mm-hmm. and that was a beautiful process to be, to be with him when he transitioned. So he's actually on my, my team now, which is of course. amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I get to experience him in a new way. He's actually very supportive because he emulated to me, Karen, um, composure and compassion all the way through. He was a gentle, gentle spirit. And it was after his passing in these years that I really, as I'm serving my life now, because I'm not in survival mode, right? I get to reflect and I'm like, oh, what a beautiful spirit. So he is very supportive because I think it embodied, my work embodies what he was always about, but just he, he expressed it in his, 
you know, convenience store exchanges or when we had a Dunkin' Donuts, every interaction to him was gold. Like just people remembered his smile. He oh. had this just genuine, he'd give stuff away. He was that guy, you know? Yeah. So he's very supportive. My mom, on the other hand, is very traditional and doesn't understand the work I do, although she herself has always been an intuitive, very psychic, very plugged mm -hmm. in. And she has shut a lot of that down because of the traditions of a particular uh, religious paradigm that she's in. Does, so she my, wear, does she still wear sari? You know, to a, a traditional occasions, yes. Day okay. in and day out at home, no. not in the house, but in community functions at the temple, absolutely. She's in traditional attire. Oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we see the world very differently. And what part of my journey, Karen, and I think for many of us, is when we've been judged is to then go, ooh, but I'm judging the judger. And then having to complete and resolve any resentment. And that's been my work in these years is resentment and go, ooh, that's easy to sidestep, but it builds up. <laughs> that's so easy to do, judge the judger. I trip up on that all the time. Um, you're in your judgment, but I'm judging you for judging. <laughs> And that's the state of the world right now. Like, I know. Part of the truth. And, you know, one part is definitely leaning towards more expansiveness, but we have to integrate the part that we know is just limiting. And it's coming from a different perspective, just a lower order perspective. There's no judgment in it. We know there can be a higher level integration of that disparity. But it's a... It's a it's a sneaky little bitch that judge the judge, right? Because it's like right there, and you're like, oh, dang, you know, how can I find, how can I find inner peace with knowing that we're just seeing it differently? Yeah. And my way might be a little more comprehensive, but yeah. I always wonder, how do ascended masters look, look at us and go, come on now, you can't see this? Like, you can't see us right in front of you. So much easier than you're making it. Well, I have to say the way I experience Ascended Masters is they just have the best laugh fest as they watch us crawling around trying to grapple at definition and, you know, playing with ideology and thought form and beliefs and judgment. And they just like think it's hilarious. I've heard them laughing many times. That's it. That's Especially it. Especially as we... Especially as we argue over who they were in past, you know, in lives like Jesus and what he did or didn't do. I remember once I was at a, at a conference years ago, probably 20 years ago, and they were all debating over if he married Mary Magdalene or didn't marry Magdalene, did he have children? And I'm just sitting there and I'm hearing 2,000-year-old gossip. <laughs> Hilarious. I'm going to have to borrow the tradition and the gossip now. I love that. That's exactly what it is. But let oh, me ask you, you know, we can't diss tradition totally as much as tradition is pressure from dead people. There, there is a lot of beauty in tradition too. I'm just thinking about your mum all dressed up in sari and all the beautiful, you know, India is so rich with colour and beauty and there's some of those traditions which is just so beautiful. Um, not necessary for spiritual enlightenment as they perceive it is. I remember Courtney was saying, uh, she was at some Hindu thing and she was chatting to Krishna, one of her mob, and she said, is this necessary? Like, what do you think about this, Krishna? And he said, well, it's not necessary, but it's fun, you know. <laughs> That's like, kind of 
how it's meant to be. I think if it works for you, it works for you. If it doesn't, and they're all tools, they're access points. Yeah. But what have you taken from tradition that you still kind of use as something that you enjoy? Do you ever dress up in sari or do you have traditional food or do you have, do you, have you taken any of the ritual that, because India is so filled with ritual. Absolutely, it is. Yeah. It's part of the discipline because that's what I realize is having, I think the essence of ritual, Karen, is what I've extracted out of it. I've kind of made it my own. Like in the morning, I have my own ritual, witnessing how my parents always had very intention, very structured in their discipline, right? Never yeah. a down day because everything was very... Um, planned and methodical so that the mind could never get mm, corrupted and so mm -hmm. the will of the heart in service to you know family and community was always there so i think to me just the essence of discipline is is probably the biggest thing and the it's almost like a, a purity of energy that i think i learned in the tradition is that we must be accountable for our living space. We must be accountable for our own physical wellness and cleanliness. We must be accountable for the purity of our thoughts and for the quality of the tone of our hearts. Like there's a constant focus on self-care in order to be all you could be in every interaction. Um, when it comes to, you know, the day-to-day -day traditions, only when I'm around family, you know, I'll get dressed up and do what I need to do. Um, I still love, you know, the clothes, but they got to feel right. There's some things that just don't feel like they suit me anymore. The particular patterns, you know, it's funny because then I look at the avatar of who is Darshna as this avatar, and now I'm feeling empowered to go, you know, mom might get me a, an outfit. I'm like, too pink, you know, not me. And I'm like, oh, like this thing, she actually got me. Like she knows what I like now. <laughs> and so we're coming full circle. Like she knows what Darshan of the Avatar likes. <laughs> yeah, Beyond that's the persona of who she judges of, I'd rather you be wearing a dress, but because you dress like this. Yeah. Well, I suppose, you know, it makes it harder for these people that are so steeped in tradition, especially I, re I remember talking to Paul Selig, not that he came from that tradition, but he, he came out as a channel a few years ago and, and quit his job working as a university professor teaching script writing. He'd been doing that for many years and enjoyed it. And he was closet. He was a closeted channel. Right. And but he was a gay man, too. And he said to me, you know, I had to come out twice. I first came out as a gay man and then I came out as a channel. And I thought that was hilarious. But I kind of feel like with your story, it would have been easier for you to come out as a channel than it would have as a gay person inside your tradition, inside your family. Like, how did they deal with that? Oh, the whole idea of, of gay, this would have been, what, 18 18 plus years ago, nearly 20, yeah, was um, unheard of, really not, not supported. So there was, you know, the disowning of the family. Yeah. There were some really rough years there yeah. where I, you know, was, I was on my own. Um, and, uh, and I always think, you know, back, all of that was by divine design because yeah. then, they're literally, you know, it's one of the deepest core wounds is to be ostracized by poor family. Yeah. And when you're cast out of your own tribe, 
where do you turn? You have to turn within. Absolutely. And because of the arranged marriage, I had no friends. You know, I was really, really on my own, which then just brought me back to, damn, D, this is a solo journey. And now you've got a little one and you got to pave, pave the way for her. How are you going to do this in the most compassionate way? Because I would want her to know you could be a warrior, but be a compassionate warrior. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that's been that's been how to walk that coming out as gay was not easy because mm-hmm. um, it was a whole new paradigm for me. And then um, you know, fast forward now, I see many people in the in the Indian community much more comfortable to come out because people like me, you know, I'm in my mid forties now. We set the tone and created the way. And I think that's Absolutely. what every generation does, right? Absolutely. We try to ease the suffering of the next so that they can just be as emboldened and embodied as that divine expression chooses to be in this incarnation. Absolutely. So it's been a gift. It has not been an easy journey, but wow, am I realizing it's been, there's been some good stories of just transformation. That's beautiful to hear that the younger generation are feeling like bolder and braver and, and more empowered to be who they want to be. I think of the Muslim and Arabic communities like that's, you know, if you're kind of born gay into like those traditional communities, like that's hard. It might, more hard than Italian or Greek or Indian. There's so many sort of traditional communities. And yeah, so anyway, we're a shifting, changing world. Okay. What should we leave people with? How about, do you feel like doing a bit of drumming as a bit of oh, a my goodness. to our listeners? Can we pause for a second while I go get the drum? Absolutely. I would love that. About how much time do we have? And then I'll, uh, I'll drum accordingly. Oh, a for few minutes, you know, four minutes. or five minutes, whatever. Okay. All right. So this is the medicine drum. She's been a dear friend now in many of my client sessions. Um, Thanks for the opportunity to share. Um, So yeah, if we've got a few minutes, what I would love to invite everyone is just kind of breathe and soak in the pulsations. It'll start just with uh, a couple of solid hits to get our field acquainted. Um, Is that coming through okay, Karen? Awesome. We're just gonna get a moment to breathe. As you're breathing, just take a moment to connect with your body. Just noticing the physical body. Just breathing, feeling the breath moving through your body from head to toe. Noticing the mind and the thoughts that ebb and flow. And then becoming aware as the thoughts are moving in the mind. Become aware of your breathing into the heart space. Imagine your breathing into the heart center. Allow it to blossom and receive the intelligence, the medicine of the drum. 
Well, unfortunately, the mic was not um, playing with us today with the drumming. So you'll just have to go see her live. The thing about drumming is it's much better live. <laughs> it doesn't really, hasn't really translated in the last couple of shows where I've had people drumming. Adershna, thank you so much for being on the show. Any last um, messages for humanity or people listening to this before we say goodbye? Yeah, thanks again, Karen. And thanks to everyone who's tuned in. Um, totally appreciate the journey that we are on as a collective. Thanks for holding space, Karen, for that, these kinds of conversations. You know, the message that is just coming through is self-empowerment. It's a time to really become fully energetic, sovereign beings so that we can move through day-to-day -day life with such integrity and it's energetic integrity, right? It's really owning that meaning that we do place on the day-to-day -day flow of life's information. And so now just stepping back and noticing our own evaluative structures gives us the liberation to be fully sovereign, which then opens up the deeper empowerment that I believe we're awakening to as a collective civilization now it's an exciting time it's not been an easy time but it's an exciting time community is very important transparency being raw and real and really feeling emotion we got to feel it to heal it that's been one of my personal lessons feel it to heal <laughs> it Ooh, when they those things move those emotions move through the tendrils of the heart it opens up that innate sensitivity that we've been shut off to as a species who's been in survival mode. So it's yeah. time to remember, there's nothing to survive. We can live in a thrivable civilization. Yeah, move out of survival into arrival. I love that, <laughs> yes. It's actually not me, that's Deepak Chopra. <laughs> he used to say, he used to say, going from survival to arrival. Anyway, and I always sat shaking my head like <laughs> Very good, very good. That's no. awesome. <laughs> I, um, I so agree with you, you know, that, that self-empowerment is standing up for what you believe in. If you believe in love, even when everyone is screaming and judging other people, stand up for love, stand up for love, be love in the face of hate. Yeah, stand up for what you believe in. Uh, that's happening in my community in Sydney at the moment, rather than judging another for his bad behaviour. You know, uh, share compassion and understanding and love. And um, anyone that's behaving badly is behaving badly because they're believing their stressful thoughts. And when you believe your stressful thoughts, that's called illness or dis-ease or uh, whatever traumas. And as healers, we want to help people in trauma, right? We don't want to judge them. We want to love them. Thank you so much, gorgeous one. You're just Thanks. such a bright spark. Lots more to come from you. <laughs> Thank you for the opportunity, Karen, and you as well. Thanks for being a beacon. I appreciate it. And thank you all for, for tuning in. Thanks. Wow, a beautiful mind. Dershna Patel. I was just saying to her as we came off the recording, uh, she reminds me of Nassim Haraman, you know, that physicist, that amazing channel, physicist, amazing man. I hope to get him on the show next year, actually. Uh, Sometimes when he talks, it just totally goes over my head. But I love what he says, even though I don't understand much of it. It's like he's just so super intelligent. It's that heart and intelligence mixed together. It's just exponential. It's just, woo, it just gives me a fly. Anyway, you've got to really stop and listen and like, what? Hey, say that again. But, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to get 
Dershna Patel, Nassim Harriman and Penny Kelly together in a conversation. Now, wouldn't that be a great conversation? <laughs> Maybe I can set that up for next year or something like that for next year. Let's wait and see. So many conversations to have, so much to explore and talk about, and especially the new physics and understanding and, you know, consciousness technology, who we are. And uh, it's not necessary to... Um, you know, live an enlightened life, but it's fascinating. It's interesting to sort of understand the physics of it all, how it works. So my guides have said to me, do you, un do you need to understand how the car works in order to drive the car? And I'm kind of like, no, it's interesting. <laughs> so are we teaching people how to drive the car? Are we teaching people how it works? I think a bit of both. What do you think? Yeah, next year, remember to stay in the heart no matter what, out of the judgment and critical mind, stay in the heart, you see something that you don't like find compassion for it understand that we're all an extension of source energy we all come from liquid love unconditional unified infinite liquid love we come into density and forget who we are and those people that are not behaving in a way that you find kind or nice or agree with just remember that you two are them and they are you and they're just experiencing this reality the way they're experiencing it as byron katie says if you believed their stressful thoughts, you would probably react like that too. Or if you believed their thoughts, some of them don't even see them as stressful thoughts. They just see them as like, I'm right about this. And this is the way. If I believed that, I'd feel like that too. Uh, Byron, I've been reaching out to her, Byron Katie, for 10 years, to her mom. And they reject me every time. She is the only person that I have reached out to in the 10 years I've been on radio and podcasting that has ever said, no, I'm sorry, I'm too busy. So I just think, well, one day we'll get my favorite on the show. You know, Byron, I talk about her constantly and she's the only one that's never said, no, we're too busy, can't come on your show. Maybe I can ask you all to visualize Byron Katie on my show. I think we'd have a really interesting conversation because I use the work all the time. I think it would be a different conversation than what she has with other people because it would be my perspective and her perspective. So it'd be interesting. Anyway. I've got one more person coming up before the end of the year. We're going to talk about environmental issues. His name is, um, I've gone totally blank, me and names. Amrik, Amrik Madou, French man, but he lives in Australia. And we're going to chat uh, next week. And then we're in 2020. So I hope you're all enjoying the holiday season and have a happy new year and a Merry Christmas and a happy Hanukkah and a happy Krishnamas and all whatever you celebrate, whatever traditions you're currently living or maybe you don't celebrate Christmas. Just have a good time no matter what. Happy, happy holidays is the generic thing, isn't it? And I'll see you all again soon. Big love. Mwah.